You're listening to Radio Free Brooklyn, independent, listener-supported radio. I'm back, back in the New York room. Brian, what is happening? <laughs> what is happening? What is happening? We stink. We're terrible. <laughs> Just awful. Yeah. My God. Yeah. Life is bad. Everything's terrible. Yeah, no, everything is terrible. Like right. it's just <laughs> everything in the world is terrible and um you know, I don't know why any of us should go on. And with that, <laughs> welcome to the Giants Among Men. <laughs> we hope you're excited to be here. Um we're excited. I think that was an exciting start to the show. Yeah, uh, <laughs> I, I I'm excited to be here. Right. I'm, I'm excited, excited. To be talking to you, um, but I'm, I'm excited I'm, to be spending time with the fans. That's true, and you know the radio listeners. Um, yeah. But unfortunately, they're going to hear us. I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. I don't know what state they're going to get us in today, um, as we try to make sense of of what happened over the weekend. Yeah, I've kind of moved through a lot of the grief stages. I guess um, you know I was in. Uh, well, actually, I don't know. I feel like I've been in denial for most of the off season up until now. Right. And now denial is no longer impossible. I had some moments of rage. I had some moments right. of just deep, unrelenting <laughs> sadness. And right. I've sort of hit like a numbness stage now, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, the reality is sunk in. Um, and uh, I think it's fair to say the New York football giants are a terrible team in the midst of a terrible season um, now coming off a 36 to nine drubbing at the hands of a 49ers team that really didn't have anybody playing for them. That was any good. Um, and just yet, nobody, nobody. And despite that uh, they had no trouble um, dispatching of us <laughs> with pain and humiliation. <laughs> right. That's the truth. You know, that's the thing too. It's not like they just, they beat us or they pulled one out with their sort of like with the skeleton crew. They kicked our faces in. Yeah. And they were missing Nick Bosa, last year's defensive rookie and player of the year. Richard Sherman, the best guy in their secondary. Uh, Solomon Thomas, D Ford, linebacker Dre Greenlaw, and Akella Witherspoon. And then they lost Emmanuel Mosley very quickly into the first half with a concussion. Like they had nobody. It's shout out to uh, the Ringer podcast, The Press Box, which I actually enjoy quite a bit. Uh, they have a little segment they do every week called the Overworked Trip Twitter Joke of the Week. And if you tweeted about the Giants losing to the 49ers JV team, then you definitely hit the Overworked Twitter Joke of the Week in Giants. Right, world. right. <laughs> yeah, I did see a lot of the, the JV jokes rolling in. And, uh, you know, they were well-deserved. Um, yeah. You know, I feel like you and I... Like so, I I started off very skeptical of this regime and and Joe Judge and his face and acolytes and <laughs> what he was allegedly going to bring to our beloved franchise. Um, but you know we're we're fans. I think we can you know we're, we're not we're not hiding anything here on the Giants Among Men show. This is not an objective show. Um, no. I think we're fair people, but we're fans. We wanted to be excited about the season. Um, wanted to talk ourselves into what has been happening with the Giants, you know. Um, and you do that as fans. You try um, to give yourself some reason to 
you know, stay interested or be excited or, hey, new season. And the Giants gave you enough this year, you know, new coach and the young quarterback was sort of impressive last year. And we, as we've trying to kind of like convince ourselves that this is going to be, this was the start of something. I feel like we just came, uh, we ran into kind of a, our optimism ran into a brick wall um, on Sunday. Yeah. I mean, I would say that obviously on Sunday, all hope for this season went out the window. Like whatever we were able to salvage or make out of this season. And I didn't think we were headed to the playoffs. I didn't think, you know, we were going to, yeah, I guess I did. I thought that we would make some noise, at least within the division, because the division is so terrible. Right. It's terrible. Um, and yeah, it still is. So I did have some optimism there that, you know, I, I, did, I did not think we were going to playoffs. It's not like I was thinking we'd, we'd uh, win the division, but I thought, you know, maybe we'd hit the over on our win, t- win total. Maybe we'd go 500. Maybe we would at least be able to steal a game from each of our division opponents. And there would be reason to tune in on Sunday and sit down with a plate of delicious food and the game on TV and think to myself, hey, maybe the next few hours of my Sunday is going to be a whole lot of fun. And it's not going to be. Right. I forgot you had a little spread going. <laughs> I did. You, you didn't have nothing invested in, in the uh, the proceedings. Right. No, absolutely not. And, and I just, I really, I did think we were going to do well. And I'll say, and I, I know, I think you're in a different place on this now than I am. I don't think that, um, or I'm not taking too much out of this that is going to convince me that Joe Judge isn't good yet. I think it's still way too early to pass judgment on him. And uh, we talked at length last week about the whole Jason Garrett situation and how I, I don't totally understand what's going on with that. And and I don't know that we'll ever quite know who Joe Judge is as a head coach until Jason Garrett is gone. And again, this is something that I'm saying three games into his tenure. Right. But, um, I, I still like him and Patrick Graham. I'm still... Uh, reserving some hope for obviously was out on Jason Garrett before we even saw this disappointment. Uh, but now I am really shaky on a certain individual, which is going to beg the question, Brian is Daniel Jones. Good. Yeah. <laughs> um, I don't have no idea. Um, I- I'll say this. I, this is where I now am on Jones. Um, I, I still think he has the potential to be an effective starting quarterback in the NFL. Um, I feel confident he's not special now. Yeah. And I do think if this season goes as bad as it looks like it's possible, like if the Giants literally ended up with the number one overall pick at the end of this season, I would take Trevor Lawrence and not think twice about it. And then I would trade Daniel Jones for something, um, whatever I could get for him. And I, I would do that. And I wouldn't have said that even three weeks ago. I would have said, I don't know, you know, that's hard. It's hard to like start over with a new quarterback, all that. Um, I would make that move. And, you know, I still think they're a long way from actually being in that position. And, and if they're not in that position, I wouldn't, I don't, you know, I don't feel like I'm like, Oh, we're doomed with this guy, but he's not, um, he doesn't change your franchise all by himself. You know, he's not a one man um, transformation. Right. No, that's a hundred percent. Right. And, you know, I I guess I'm a little bit surprised that you say, uh, you know, if I, I would just think that if we, no matter what, even if a few weeks ago, if you told me 
we were going to end the season in a position to draft Trevor Lawrence. You do it no matter what. Because I think the only way you draft Trevor Lawrence is if you're in a position to have the number one pick. And if you're in a position to have the number one pick, it means that the season was beyond a disaster. I mean, yeah, it's still true. I, I guess I just, I mean, more like I wasn't even considering it because I wasn't considering that as a possibility. <laughs> like right, it didn't occur think... to me that we were going to be that bad, that we we're going to be in that conversation. And I was not optimistic about this team either, but I, yeah, it didn't occur to me that like, Hey, maybe we like Trevor Lawrence <laughs> was like, Oh, we don't have a shot at him. Cause we're going to win a couple of games. Right. Right, right. And I mean, even still, for us to end up worse than the Jets is frankly still quite, quite a big task. Yeah, uh, no, it's true. Yeah. But not as big as I would like it to be, certainly. Um, but yeah, no, I think any situation, if we were in a spot, if we had the number one pick, I mean, either Trevor Lawrence gets injured and we're in a position to get him, or we have the number one pick. If we have a number one pick, got to take him. You have yeah, to. Yeah. And I would even say I would take Fields at this point as well over Daniel Jones. Um, and, it, it, you know, I, I don't know. I have spent a bit of time over the last couple of days going back and thinking about, because I pretty much from draft day to the first preseason game, I, I was, I'm, I'm, I don't know that I'll ever be this guy, but I was pretty close to being one of those people who burns their Giants gear on social media. <laughs> right. when, when we drafted him. Right. The Instagram but, story of just you in the parking lot with <laughs> <laughs> kerosene yes. and, a, and a garbage can. Right, right. More likely lighting myself on fire than right, anything. Is, yeah. But, <laughs> uh, you know, I, I he showed me enough last year early, especially, that I was willing to get behind it. And kind of like you said at the, at the top here, just because I'm a fan. And what am I going to do? We're definitely going to have him for at least however many years we were going to have him, especially around this time last year. So I wasn't just going to quit football for two, three years. Yeah. So uh, obviously I wanted to have hope in Daniel Jones. Uh, but, you know, you go back to some of those, some of the thinking that you had, and it's just like, yeah, he's not a number six pick. Like he's by himself. He is not transformational enough. And I was listening to uh, the athletics football po uh, NFL podcast with Robert Mays and Nate Tice. And they were having kind of an interesting discussion about Jared Goff and uh, Josh Allen from last week's uh, Rams-Bills game. And, you know, I could see Daniel Jones's best case scenario as being in the mix with one of those two guys. Um, and it's, I guess it does give me some hope to think, you know, look, when Josh Allen was a rookie uh, and, and he, you know, he, he has his own own way about him and he almost has an Eli-esque manner to him, right? Where, uh, and I'm not saying they're the same kind of player at all. And I'm not saying that uh, even I think Josh Allen is necessarily as good as Eli were. And, and they have different styles of play anyway, but they both have this capability of uh, being in a big spot and either making you throw your hands up in the air and, and, you know, cry with joy or just be like, what? in the world was that what could have yeah, possibly yeah. caused you to do that <laughs> yeah right um but for him to be in the mix in that class like he'll never be in that upper echelon of quarterbacks but for him to be in that middle class there i can live with that but we just also i don't know that that the infrastructure of the giants organization has the capability of building the pieces around daniel jones that the bills have done successfully and that the rams have done successfully yeah, I agree. I, but he's just not good enough, like, that you would 
you would pass on like a can't miss prospect. You know, there's just no reason to. He's not, you know, I don't think he's going to the Hall of Fame someday. I do think he could be a very effective starter. I think Jared Goff is like a perfect comp where I think he could even maybe be a little better than Jared Goff because of his mobility, because of his speed. Um, I think he's, you know, has a, some, he can do, you know, Jared Goff is actually, I, to me, I think he's a little underrated. Like, I think he's really like, super accurate yeah. um, and quite good. But I, I think he could be in that conversation of that type of player. Um, you know, it's funny. You're making me think when you're talking about Josh Allen and just in the comparison to Eli. And I agree that it is the only comparison is just the like the wave that you ride with those kinds of guys. And like I was thinking about, it was just making me think about the Tyree play and just the whole <laughs> how that does it just so encapsulates the guy's whole career. You know, it's like yeah. this bit of skill and luck. And insanity, you know, like just literally got out of there and then like, what are you doing? Like he just heaves it in the middle of the field, you know, but then actually the guy's kind of open, you know, and, and it's sort of a good pass. It was just, that was the, the entirety of his career in one play. Um, yes. And the catch itself is obviously incredible, but you know, Eli put the ball on his helmet, which is where it had to be. Right. <laughs> yeah. I actually heard Peyton and Eli talking about it once where Peyton was like, you know, he could have just caught it. Like, it is, you know, it was there. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. But, you know, I'm not taking anything away from Tyree. It was an amazing play. <laughs> um, but it was just funny to hear the two of them talk talk about it. Yeah, um, oh, sure. But, yeah, I mean, I agree with you. Like, I have no confidence in the Giants to do anything. And, you know, let's get like, come back to Joe Judge, where I agree with you that I'm not, like, throwing Joe Judge in the trash forever. But... There is definitely this thing where Joe Judge clearly, when you speak to him one-on-one, is very impressive, personally impressive, and you come away. And I you know, I found myself, I was telling you last week, I was suddenly sold on Joe Judge by watching the stupid Joe Judge report where he breaks down <laughs> one play and you're like, boy, this guy really knows his stuff. You know, like, I mean, he's one play, of course. I mean, he can't break it down. How the hell is he, at, you know, he's an NFL coach, for God's <laughs> sakes. But anyway, you know, because, like, clearly the Giants hired him solely on the basis of, like, you know, an interview and nothing else to yeah. go on. Um, and suddenly they're all in on freaking Joe Judge, you know? But, um, like, there's there's just, there's nothing he's brought to the table so far that, you know, really has moved the needle at all. Like... And, and 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 this is a guy like mind you who was headed to before the Giants like rescued him and made him their head coach out of nowhere was going to maybe get the Mississippi State job, and Mississippi right. State goes ahead and hires Mike Leach and beats LSU and throws for like seven hundred y- yards and like I'm a Mississippi State fan I'm like we dodged a bullet yeah like we don't have Joe Judge like. His fr- again, and we can talk about like we can scream and yell about Jason Garrett, and every time they flash to Jason Garrett on the sidelines, it is like you an out of body experience. Where you're like, <laughs> is he doing over there? But like, the reason it's so frustrating is because again, Joe Judge he didn't bring like a defense a system here. Like he didn't bring he hired Jason Garrett to mold his young quarterback and was seemingly fine with that and maybe you can get lay him off the hook by saying would he have done that if the giants hadn't forced him to but like at a certain point like so what you know and yeah. and if that's the case it's it's still a silly move because it's just the giants like if you don't trust the guy again to build his own staff 
then don't hire him. Like, and I just, I said this, I cannot believe that the New York Giants as an organization watched the 2019 football season and concluded that they would rather run the Jason Garrett offense than the Chiefs offense. Like, that yeah. is just mind-boggling to me. Oh, absolutely. It's ridiculous. First of all, what even is the Jason Garrett offense? I mean, my God, we have talked about it, but what are we watching out there? We didn't even get into the red zone last week. Right. We, I mean, it, we it was so the the 49er defense was so depleted that and all, and I mean also so uh on the athletic Mike Sando wrote something that uh this season has been an offensive explosion, which actually is not surprising in the least just because generally even in a normal season and even with a normal offseason, defenses take a lot longer to gel than offenses, which when you really think about it is fairly obvious because the offense everybody knows precisely where they're going and precisely what the intention of the play is on defense. Not everybody knows exactly what they're doing or where they're supposed to be until the play starts. That takes reps. That takes time. That takes some communication adjustments. And again, when you don't really know what the outcome of what you're setting up for is going to be, it's just going to take a whole lot longer. And so it's not surprising that in a season with a shortened off season, we're getting uh, a lot more points. So right now teams are averaging 24 24- 0.8 points through three games since 2000. That's the most. Uh, the only thing that came closest in 2012 through the first three weeks, teams were scoring 22 points a game. The Giants are scoring 12.7 points per game. So half of what the league averages right now in a huge scoring explosion for the league, like he is terrible. He's <laughs> Terrible. The offense is so bad, and this was the that was supposed to be the strength of the team. And I thought the defense could potentially be like historically bad, and they've been actually a little better than I thought. Like not special, but n- not bad. And and I mean and and you know they kind of cr- they kind of cratered in the second half, you know, against the 49ers And I think um, Kyle Shanahan pulled our pants down and just humiliated <laughs> us. It was so obvious, you know, that like we just he's on another level, and that's fine. Joe Judge, first year coach, like. It's okay to take your lumps from Kyle Shanahan, but for our offense to be that inept, you know, is just, it's so frustrating to watch. I just can't take it anymore. No, it's, it's ridiculous. Let's talk a little bit more about the offense after a quick break and a quick read from Brian. Well, yes, let me, let me get to this read. Scott, I don't know if you've know, you've, uh, you know this about um, our country, but um, Donald Trump is the president. Um, the the, the guy from the apprentice (laughs) right the weird tv guy who you used to just like read a silly interview he did in playboy magazine 15 years ago (laughs) now runs the country and another thing you might not know about him um not a big truth teller um doesn't not the most honest of fellows (laughs) And like like spins things, right? He doesn't just like outright lie. Does no, he? he sometimes he's he just he doesn't tell the truth. Um, <laughs> <laughs> kind of a lot, which is why Radio Free Brooklyn is pleased to announce Wall of Lies, a groundbreaking visual art project one month before the presidential election of 2020, which is kind of a big deal. The project demonstrates the unprecedented lack of honesty from our current commander in chief. Wall of Lies is a 50-foot by 10-foot outdoor mural with the 20,000-plus lies told by Donald Trump so far while in office, documented and fact-checked by the Washington Post. 
Wall of Lies will be on public view outside Pine Box Rock Shop at 12 Grattan Street in Bushwick from noon Saturday, October 3rd until 7 p.m. Sunday, October 4th. The socially distanced live event accompanying the mural includes a voter registration drive and a live Radio Free Brooklyn broadcast on Sunday from 3 to 6 p.m. Radio Free Brooklyn will be inviting members of the public to read some of Trump's most egregious lies on the air. Um, oh. which will be fun, you know. I wonder which ones they'll choose, you know. What are the yeah. most egregious, egregious offensive lies? Um, anyway, are we going to get to uh, read lies? I don't know. I hope so. But this yeah. is a nice little initiative. Um, and, you know, one of the reasons we're happy to be on Radio Free Brooklyn uh, is because of stuff like this. Um, and, yeah, don't forget to vote um, in November, unless you're going to vote for Trump. And in that case, um, you know, feel free to stay home and <laughs> do anything, do literally anything else. It's rigged anyway. You don't need to be there. It's fine. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> and when you go to the mural, make sure uh, you wear a mask. Do wear a mask, please, for the love of God. Yes. Maybe wear two. So back into uh, the offense just a little bit. And and let's 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 start to tie Garrett uh, to Gentleman a little bit. Well, actually, no. I want to stick with Garrett in the offense because I think one of the things we talked about last week, too, is uh, Jones needing to run the ball a little bit more, which he was able to do this week. Yeah. To the tune of 92 yards, which outrushes the entire rest of the team combined. Right. And it, I mean, I would say to date, that is the only thing, effective thing I've seen us do was those <laughs> brief RPOs with Daniel Jones. Yep. Yeah. That's the, right. It's the only right. The only, those are the only big plays we've had. The only effective moments of the season was one play action pass to Darius Slayton and those runs. So why did we just start doing that now? I don't, and, and why isn't it kind of like the basic, you know, the building block of sort of everything we do? You know, it's like he's really effective at it. I, you know, I think I saw somewhere last year he was very effective, you know, throwing out of those type of plays. Um, so, yeah, you know, I, again, I just think it's like no plan. It's just there's no um, system here. Like, I know Jason Garrett, I'm sure he knows plays, but he has no, like, you know, overlying philosophy, I really don't think. No, I mean, absolutely. And I think uh, the stat you're referring to, I got it here. So uh, so Daniel Jones completes 65% of his play action attempts with 9.6 yards per attempt on average. He has one touchdown and one interception. That's this year. His other 93 attempts... He's completing 59% of his passes at 5.5 yards per attempt with one touchdown and three interceptions. So he is, he, I mean, he gets basically double the yards per attempt. And we're not even talking about per completion, per attempt, double the yards per attempt when he's throwing out of play action than when he's uh, throwing without play action. So why we're not doing it, like I don't even, and that's not even from last year, that's this year so far. I just don't understand why we're not doing it. And I know that some are going to say that, well, it's because we don't have any run games, so no one's going to buy that we're running the ball. That just isn't true. An NFL linebacker is not seeing run action and deciding that an NFL, another NFL team, no matter how bad they are, that no NFL linebacker is going to say, it looks like run. I'm going to drop into pass anyway because I'm not scared of the run. As bad as our offensive line is, if you're going to give the offense an NFL offensive lineman that big of an advantage over you, 
you're not going to be able to stop it. If they see run, they have to react to it. Yeah, so, it's the beauty of play action. It doesn't it doesn't require running that well. Like it just you know it it, it it's wor- more effective if you're running well, but it works. It's still momentary. You know, if it pauses a guy for a half a second, it's a big deal. So it you know there's a ton of research on that. That's like you don't really need to run it that well for play action to be effective. Play action is effective. <laughs> right. It's effective. And Jason Garrett is like, eh, we're good. Right. <laughs> Everything else we're doing, I don't have time for these play action tricks. <laughs> Everything else I've got in my in my bag here. <laughs> we're fine. Yeah. And, and I don't know what the problem... <sighs> Like, I mean, I guess I know the problem, but still, you know, I, I, I was, I was crunching some numbers today and I was going through some things because I I had a bit of a hypothesis and I wanted to see if it checked out and I wish I was bringing a a much cleaner stat or something or something I could point to just like we did with the play action numbers there would kind of illustrate for people exactly what the issue is. And I I don't have that, but here's just something I kind of want to get into because I've sort of condensed most of our problems from this decade into how bad our offensive line is. And I just think I've always thought that that's where all the problems stem from. And that may be true, but it's 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 difficult to be as bad as we've been no matter what. And even teams that don't have a great offensive line can still manage to put together some semblance of an offense. So I went back to 2018, which is Shermer's first year, Gettleman's first year in charge. I went to Football Outsiders and I looked at the rankings for offensive lines. And, you know, I'm not going to get into the details of how they determine it because I'll be honest, I don't totally understand it myself. I'm not some sort of engineer. I'm not really a mathematician. I did teach middle school math for about eight years, uh, but I don't still don't, I don't know anything about math. Middle school math is not that hard. (laughs) Um, But uh, Football Outsiders had in 2018 had the Giants with the 29th ranked line in the league. They had at 28 was Chicago and at 27 was Houston. Both Chicago and Houston made the playoffs that year. Houston, of course, had Deshaun Watson, but Chicago had Mitchell Trubisky. So I think my point here is, is that, look, what do the football outsiders rankings mean and and what's the context of it? And, you know, we could get into the weeds on that. But I think my point is, is that you don't have to have the talent that, say, the Cowboys have on their offensive line to be an effective team at running the ball or just running an offense. So it's while our offensive lines have been bad, that's not the whole story. And even, you know, you could point to a whole bunch of different things, but we have just been so bad, like just, and I don't understand it. Yeah. I mean, we've been an unwatchable offensive team for so long. And I do think a lot of it, like, you know, look, we were all a little in denial about Eli's decline for a few years, I think, and kind of blamed that on the line, which it had a lot to do with it. But I think beyond the point where it was like, guys, <laughs> I think Eli's the problem. But, um, yeah. you know, then we bring in Daniel Jones and it's like the team looks exactly the same. And I guess, you know, the cynic might say, well, all right, Daniel Jones, maybe he stinks too. But, I, you know, it's like we can't stink in the exact same way with like a rookie fast quarter. You know what I mean? Like it seems a little odd. Um, right. And right. theoretically all this focus on the offensive line and it never changes. Like, so something is just like, we've just either lost the ability to scout the position, coach the position. Like we just can't, we can't do it. We can't do it. 
and I want to talk a little about bit about more, more. I'm sorry, talk a little more about how we can't do it after I tell everybody that they're listening to Radio Free Brooklyn, independent, listener supported radio. And I'm back to talk about. <laughs> I like that. That was very well executed. Thank you. I'm I'm a professional, Brian. Right. Let's uh. let's talk about uh, Dave Gettleman's goals that he stated in his introductory press conference. And let's just do a little checklist here. Let's just see what's what has he accomplished. Okay. Gettleman wanted to be able to run the ball. Right. Have we accomplished that? <laughs> Check it off. Check it off the box. <laughs> Worst <laughs> game in the NFL. <laughs> right. Yep. Gettleman wanted to stop the run. <laughs> Did we do that? No, we have not done that. <laughs> no, not doing that. I want to get to the yeah. defense in a second. Yeah. Uh, he said you have to be able to rush the passer. No. 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 <laughs> no. Can't, can't do that. No. Uh, you know, he mentioned how Tom Coughlin says when you have big people, you always have a chance. Uh, I mean, we don't have a chance, Brian. <laughs> <laughs> right. And everybody has big people. The NFL, everybody on the field is huge. (laughs) Right. So what is Dave Gettleman doing? What has he done? This is so ridiculous. I'm so sick of Dave Gettleman. The worst part about Dave Gettleman is his, you know, he's such an arrogant guy. His presence, you know, just like, well, I got this under, you know, he, um, I I read something recently where he was talking about how he, what he wanted to do with the Giants. Like, I don't think he ever planned to be like a 10 year GM with the Giants. He's kind of an older guy, but he was like, he was coming in here. I'm going to fix the Giants and then I'm going to leave. I'm going to set them up for 10 years and then walk off and just watch, you know, watch this program I built like well-oiled machine. And it's just a joke, you know, like he was going to go watch it from Cape Cod. He said, I want to drop a French QB in there. And then watch it, watch it bloom from Cape Cod. And like, yeah, he has acquired a lot of young players and he acquired a, you know, franchise quarterback, quote unquote. Um, and it's, there's nothing here. Like, there's just nothing here. I, every time I see Dave Gettleman on, on TV, I'm reminded when he's in a press conference, it, I always think of that time that, um, remember that guy that threw his shoes at George W. Bush? <laughs> I always want somebody to do that to Dave Gettleman. Just the ultimate disrespect of just, I have no respect for you. <laughs> I'm going to take off my shoes and fire them at you. Like, that's what he deserves. If I was in a press conference with Dave Gettleman, one of my shoes would be off and would be hurtling in the air towards Dave Gettleman. Because that's I am so, so sick of this arrogance. And it's just like, you're a disaster. Like, forget right. the coach who's only been here three weeks. Like, this is year three. And the bar could not have been lower. Nobody was like, oh, the Giants are going to be great. But, th- like, it was just progress. The goal was any progress. <laughs> Literally anything. I would hang my hat on anything at this point. And we have <laughs> nothing. There is nothing. <laughs> like, you get the Giants did. Like, if they were at a punter who was exceptional, I'd be like, well, let's not forget. That, you know, he's pinning him. But it's like, no, nothing. In fact, our kicker got was, you know, in a DUI. <laughs> God. Our first round pick is in jail for armed robbery. Like, there's just not a sliver of, you know, every guy they tell me, oh, we got, we have, you know, 
Lorenzo Carter. Lorenzo Carter is every team in the league has a Lorenzo Carter for God's yeah. sakes. I know he's not anybody. Whatever right. he's, he's got... fine. Good. Got a couple How... of guys. By the way, what is your tolerance level for anyone who's excited about Leonard Williams's two sacks so far? This oh year? my God! Right? Who cares? That's zero. <laughs> I mean... <laughs> Look, we got manhandled. We got absolutely run roughshod over by Nick Mullins. Humiliated us in our home stadium. <laughs> and you're going to tell me about it. what a great game Leonard Williams had. Who cares? I mean, number one, anyone who wants to tell me Leonard Williams got a sack on Sunday, my, my response is going to be, but I thought sacks didn't matter because the defense of this guy all last year was sacks aren't important. His pressure rate is the real thing. So then what do I care when he gets a sack if sacks don't matter? But of course sacks do matter. Of course they do. And right. I don't care that he has two now. He stinks. Right. <laughs> right. He's or he's fine. But it's like, you know, we traded, we gave up a lot to get him. Um and he's and, the highest paid player on the team. Right, right. It's like not, the, it's not, you know, I don't want to like kill Leonard Williams, the human being. It's not his fault, but it's just like he represents every flawed, you know, a thing going on in the Giants organization of just like, you know, poor, uh, a line, you know, a poor assessment of draft picks and what to spend on. You know, it's just, it's just every terrible thinking that is the Giants organization is, <laughs> epitomized by Leonard Williams, who's a perfectly fine player and I'm sure wonderful, nice guy. But it's just so hard not to look at him and just be like, this is the representative of everything kind of off kilter about everything we're doing. I know. And I don't even know if he represents that because I feel like he wasn't even a strategic error. I think Gettleman is representative of everything that's wrong with the organization as a whole. Like Leonard Williams is like, if I right. forgot to hit the record button on this podcast... <laughs> Like, we, get, we traded away a draft pick for a guy that was going to be available in free agency, right. probably for cheaper than what we're paying him right now. Like, yeah. that's just the wanted him. Like, there was no, uh, who were we competing against for the services of Leonard Williams? I, I know, anytime the Jets have given up on somebody, that's usually a sign that maybe <laughs> you don't want to check in on that guy. Um, right. Maybe let the let the market play out and see what you know. Maybe we could, you know, <laughs> we were worried, we're worried we wouldn't be able to get Leonard Williams. Meanwhile, like Jadavian Clowney was out there for months and nobody wanted him. You know, like what Leonard Williams was going to be a bidding war. I just I find that hard to believe. <laughs> oh, it's 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 absolutely ridiculous. And anyone who wants to say, well, you know. Uh, uh, the whole thing with Clowney had to do with COVID, et cetera. And then we didn't, you know, we didn't know about COVID at the time that we, we traded for, Le it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Yeah. Nobody was competing for Leonard Williams. It doesn't matter. I mean, God, the Jets are the only team worse than us. He's the guy right, we thank, got him from. Thank God for the Jets. <laughs> no, I hate, you know, I just hate Dave Gettleman's arrogance. So, you know, you like, he sounds like sort of a moron, but I was trying to give him the benefit of the doubt. This guy's been, you know, in, he's worked for teams his whole life. He must know more than me. And he's got this like irrational confidence. He sounds like the freaking uh, men's warehouse guy. <laughs> you know, like, yeah. you're going to like the way you, you're going to like this team. I guarantee you. No. <laughs> and I've been in a men's warehouse and they stink. <laughs> and so are the Jackets. <laughs> and so does Dave Gettleman. He doesn't know what he's doing. It's terrible. <laughs> uh, Dave Gettleman is, it's like, here's what I think. And here's what I think that the Giants 
are doing, and this really starts obviously with the Maras, is that they they are so fundamentally incorrect about what how to lead and how to sort of build the culture within the team. And I know that sounds like very buzzwordy or, you know, kind of, I don't even know, like very kumbaya or whatever you want to call it. But I think you look at some of the other good franchises, and we were talking about this a little bit earlier, like with New England and with Pittsburgh, they have some core values that they keep as sort of the underlying guiding light of the franchise. But there are a lot of details that have to shift and adapt over time. And I think the Giants confuse that with simply trying to recreate replicas of what their successful teams in the past have done. And I've been trying to think all day for a good analogy for this, and I still don't think this is a great one. I'm not super proud of it, but I'm going to say it anyway because I get to slip in a little dig at, at Michigan here. But as <laughs> you know, as some of our listeners may know, I, I went to Ohio State. And um, if you've watched a Michigan game in the John and I'm sorry, in the Jim Harbaugh era, you know there is a difference between. Uh, I don't know, doing something with your outfit as maybe an homage to somebody who you respect. And then there's just dressing up as somebody in a Halloween costume. And they're two totally different things. And I think Jim Harbaugh is dressed as Bo Schembechler on Saturdays. And I think that has been a big problem <laughs> with Michigan football. It, it's it true. He's doing an impression of him. It's like, what are you doing? Right. And how do you just respect that guy? Clothes. Like, why are you wearing, why did you like take the glasses off a dead man and his, like, is that literally Bo's hat that he like pulled out right. of the ground? <laughs> right. If you want to wear the glasses, wear the glasses. If you want to wear a hat, wear a hat. But he's in a Halloween costume. It's not the same thing. It's not an homage. It's dress up and it's weird. And I bet none of, nobody respects you. And that's why Michigan sucks. But I feel like that's what the Giants do. It's all a big Halloween costume of the great teams of the past, but it's not a team that has like these fundamental values. Like, look, if that's what we were doing, we would always make sure we had a stockpile of pass rushers, which we just haven't had in forever. So it's not like, and there's a lot of other things, but that's just not what we do. We're dressed up in a hot, like Daniel Jones is an Eli Halloween costume. Yeah. You know, I think too. I I think the Giants have a lot of things in their culture that they like and that they should be proud of. They have like, you know, it's more of a. It's not so corporate. It is more a family business than most teams in the league. Like Pat Hanlon could not be the PR guy for any other NFL franchise. Like he is like your uncle Pat. Um, <laughs> and there's a lot of things I like about that. I don't think that the Giants are as smart football wise as they think. And. They have had a great history. History they're proud of. Like they have four Super Bowls. I think that puts them sixth in the league, and all of them have been since 1986. Like that's huge success. That's a really impressive, you know, record that they should be proud on. But they do make a lot of boneheaded decisions, and I don't. I think you're right. Like I don't think they have a, a Giants way that is like the Patriots way. That you know is they needed somebody to come in who was going to tell them, like, you got to really change direction here. you got to do things differently. Like, they needed a guy who probably was going to come in and be like, look, Eli's done, and we got to figure yeah. out how to get him out of here. Yeah. And, like, we got to play. And, and you know what? Running backs aren't worth what they used to be, and so actually I don't think we should. You know, like, they needed somebody to come in and tell them some hard truths, and they didn't want to do it. And it, so instead we've got Dave Gettleman, who – worked for Ernie Accorsi and that worked before. And, you know, that way we can still keep doing things the way we've always done them. And we can keep a lot of the same people here that we've had. 
And, you know, I think that's where we found ourselves in the position that we're in, which is, you know, a total mismatch. You've got a GM who who's needed to show some progress and a first-year coach who has a OC who need, you know, there there's no, they're totally misaligned and you know, they're, they're just a total mess. A mess. Let's have a quick read here about radio free Brooklyn donations. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. I just like the, I like that transition. It was a good, it was the right time for it. We're going from a mess. Thank you. <laughs> we'll end on that. A mess. A mess. <laughs> a total mess. Speaking of, Radio's <laughs> mission is to provide a free and open platform to our community and promote media literacy, education, and free exp- expression. We rely primarily on donations from listeners like you. Every dollar helps us stay on the air. Support independent community media by pledging whatever you can. All contributions are tax deductible to the fullest extent of the law, just like I was once prosecuted in Marinick, New York. Right? <laughs> <laughs> Please support with a monthly pledge or a one-time donation at RadioFreeBrooklyn.org slash donate. Yeah, give us money so we can keep doing this. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Patrick Graham, are you okay with him? or? Uh, I mean, you know, I, I mean, he's been the most impressive part. I mean, I think the defense has overperformed. Again, notwithstanding that I think he was outclassed um, and the whole staff was this week. Um you know, I don't. You know, you know better than me, like what what they're doing and and that. Um, but the defense has has you know been better than I thought it was going to be. I mean, it's still it's like again the problem is you thought maybe we'd have a decent offense and if the defense wasn't terrible we could be okay and instead the defense has been you know whatever and the offense has been a disaster. No, I mean I totally agree with you, and I even think that he made some of the adjustments that I was sort of hoping that he would make. I think we definitely played a little bit more zone this week. You know, the real problem is this, and and this is kind of funny because I think it's very easy to co- uh, to question coaches, right? Because everybody thinks, well, I watch enough football, I know football too, and uh, it's easy to to put yourself in in these guys' shoes sometimes. But then sometimes you might say. I want to see this change. And then they make that change. And then you see it and you're like, oh, that's why they weren't doing that to begin with. So I was sort of hoping that they would play a little bit more zone because they just don't have the horses to man up against teams. And lo and behold, we did. We played a lot more zone this week than we had in the past. But playing zone meant having Devontae Downs out there a whole lot more. And he stinks. Yeah. He's terrible. Uh, (laughs) So, like, I just realized, well, that's the reason why we don't play zone, because we don't have players to play zone. Like, we don't have the players to play man, but we really don't even have the players to play zone. Because it is true, the fewer linebackers we have on the field, the better. We got got, Zach Martinez. He's good. Everybody else we have at linebacker is awful. So, yeah, we got to get those guys off the field. Yeah. Then the problem is we're in man coverage. And even, uh, you know, we were trying to use Bradbury to take away Bourne, but you get those bunch routes and they start running crossers. It's just, there's too much traffic. I don't care who you are, who you are, how good you are. There's too much traffic for those guys to really stay with anybody. And in cover one, you're supposed to have a rat in the hole, but typically I think that's supposed to be Downs Martinez and neither of them are good cover guys. So I guess long story short, the reason I was hoping we would get into zone and then we got into zone, and then I was like, oh, that's why we don't run nearly as much zone. So I think, yeah, I like Patrick Graham. I think he's in a pretty tough spot. I think he has no talent to work with, and I think he's actually done better. And, you know, people talk about the run game and how the defense kind of collapsed. And, you know, look, Kyle Shanahan is excellent. There's no doubt about it. But I think another part of the problem that we had on Sunday was, look, 
the 49ers had the ball and I, that's not not on the defense because they got to get off the field they got to make some third down stops but they had the ball in the first half almost three times as long as we did so you know yeah we're gonna give up a ton of rushing yards in the second half because we're gassed and we're just getting pushed around because we're out there so much yeah you know and maybe this will be the last thing we say i'll say about judge and maybe maybe even the giants but like i i do feel like this is sort of why you roll your eyes a little bit when you know the the camp stuff with all the like camp tricks and the laps and the you know, the jerseys and whatever because it's just like at the end of the day you know that you don't have enough talent on this team and like this team needs talent and better players and all that junk it doesn't matter you know what i mean and that's why you're like this is what you're bringing you know we need new ideas and yeah better players and new you know so it's just like that's where you start to look at this and be like oh creativity Right, and then we've got Jason Garrett running your offense, and okay, you made him take a lap. Make him run until (laughs) his knees, all right? Like, it's just whatever with that, you know? That's just not with this team. I don't know. You know, that's why it's hard not to just take it with such a grain of salt. And now we're seeing, you know, I'm not not seeing a a culture change that I'm excited about. (laughs) 100% agree. Let's, Let's just get away from the Giants now. We've said our piece. We'll see what happens. Yeah. Let's get away from I can't the Giants. Watch the Giants, man. You know, people forget. It's like, it's hard. You got to devote, like, you need three hours to watch these games. You know, you've got a child. I've got two. We're yeah. busy people. And I'm trying to, like, carve out three hours on the weekend, annoy my wife and annoy my children so I can watch this stupid game. I'm trying to get my kids into it now, you know, and they're just not at all. And I don't blame them. I'm like, you know, right. my son, my son is like, did we score a touchdown? <laughs> no, they scored a touchdown. Right. When are we going to score a touchdown? I don't know. We don't, we don't score a lot of touchdowns. Well, That's this a is, good you know, question. Yeah. <laughs> well, why are, you, why are you watching this? Because it's fun. <laughs> I'm having fun. That's why I'm watching it. <laughs> this is what I do for fun. <laughs> so sit down and keep <laughs> your mouth shut. It doesn't feel fun, Daddy. No, it's not no. a lot of fun. It's not. I want. Why can't we score a touchdown? Uh, <laughs> Ask that guy right there with the red hair. Ask him. Ask him. That's the face you should be asking. Oh God. Well, you know what is a lot of fun? That's the Radio Free Brooklyn mobile app. If you'd like to listen to Radio Free Brooklyn when you're not in front of your computer, please consider downloading our free mobile app for iPhone and Android, available in the App Store for for iPhone or the Google Play Store for Android. It is a good app, actually. And as you know, that's actually what I kind of do for a living. So this is coming. uh, This is a non-biased. They did a good job. It works well. I used it last week to listen to the yeah. show. And it, I, it's no no fuss, actually. No interface to really deal with. I just opened it up, and there was the show. It was on. Couldn't couldn't have been easier. Yeah, it's great. Brian, are we going to watch any football this Sunday? Let, let Forget the Jaya. Are we going to watch any football this Sunday? Oh, like, is, it, is there going to be such a thing? I don't know. Yeah. Um, obviously, yeah, we now know the Titans have had an outbreak of the coronavirus, also known as COVID-19. <laughs> and uh yeah i don't know you know it's so funny i mean haven't you just totally forgotten about it and then this was such a slap in the face of like oh right yeah we're in the middle of this horrible deadly pandemic and of <laughs> course this is of course this was going to happen and i don't know i mean what do you think well right like, i haven't personally forgotten about the coronavirus but <laughs> i sort of like got myself into a space where professional athletes are living in this like parallel time loop where yeah. they're safe from it because it has been quite a while since there's been like a high profile athlete sports 
case that's really rocked us. So you think that everybody's kind of been on top of it, but I don't know because what do we do? Like the teams involved have big games this weekend. You have uh, the Titans. Are the Titans three and zero, or are they two and one? They are three and zero. Yeah, so the Titans are three and zero, and they have a big game uh, this week. I think they play the Steelers this week, and that's a that's a huge game for both yeah. teams. So I guess they're... they still have the bye weeks they can play with. So maybe that's how they'll probably try to do it. But you're right. I mean. And and also just I mean I just to me it just puts it all into focus of like oh yeah this is still very much up in the air yeah it's really going to affect us and then we so both games are honestly both games are pretty big because you have Pittsburgh against Tennessee now Tennessee is not allowed to do anything until Saturday so that that game is off that that game's not happening so you know they have the bye weeks to play with but I don't know how it matches up because now also Minnesota shut down for at least a day and they're they're 0 and 3 and so is Houston and they're playing each other and I guess kind of who cares between an 0 and 3 team versus an 0 and 3 team but Houston's had a brutal schedule Minnesota hasn't had it easy either I'm sure one of those teams wants to get back on track because Houston at least is in a division that's always kind of open there at the end of the season so these aren't inconsequential games that I think are going to be put on pause so it's going to be really fascinating to see what they do yeah, yeah. I, mean, I, I, guess I think they'll power through just because they're the NFL and, and magical thinking will prevail. But yeah, yeah. I, I don't know. But this isn't going to be the only time it happens, certainly. No, it's definitely going to yeah, be something to watch. Well, uh, that was a nice little uh, reminder, especially too, as, as cases spike here in, in New York City and especially in Brooklyn, where I am. Uh, we're, we're in for it, I think. I think we all lulled ourselves to sleep. Um, and here we go. And with that said, let's talk about the playoffs. Let's talk about baseball. <laughs> let's talk about the Bronx Bombers. Yeah. Let's, <laughs> let's do it. Um, yeah. So tonight, 7 p.m. ESPN, first pitch. We have the Yankees are going to Cleveland. And they're going to be in Cleveland for all three games. The three games are going to take place on consecutive nights. And they're all going to be in Cleveland. And, you know, uh, Home road has been a factor in baseball this season. You know, you wouldn't think it'd be as big of a deal. And we talked about this a little bit last week with the electric playoff crowds, but uh, they are going to Cleveland. So tonight, obviously the Yankees are going to have Garrett Cole up on the Hill and he's going up against uh, the Indians ace, Shane Bieber, who is now the front runner for the AL Cy Young. I got to say, I haven't watched the Indians all year because the Yankees didn't play him. So I really haven't seen anything uh, of Shane Bieber. Bieber. Uh, here's, Here's a little take I have on him though. I feel, and tell me what you think, I feel like Shane Bieber is the name of a teen pop star and Justin Bieber is a major league pitcher. (laughs) Yeah, that's true. Right. So, you know, I think that's strike one against Shane right there. Right. Shane Bieber should have been on the boat with Odell. (laughs) Justin Justin should be pitching that. Right, we need to get these two together. Be like, all right, look, this is just—it was a weird circumstance here, but this doesn't work. <laughs> you need right. to change name. <laughs> like, look, great. you're you're welcome. We figured this out for you. It wasn't right, and now you know. Right. We figured like it Shane out. Bieber is a 15 year old teen idol, but Justin yeah. Bieber—that's a relief pitcher for the Cleveland Indians, or, right. or in this case, a starter. But yeah, it's I agree starter, with you. Yeah. 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 Uh, I, I, I don't know what to ex- – it's really hard to, to know what to expect just because, I mean, the Yankees have played this 60-game season as a series of streaks. Like, you could break down the whole season to 
a run where they went 16 and six, followed by a run where they went five and 15, then 10 and zero, then finished two and five. So which streak are they going to hit now? Because if it's one of the bad ones, we're done. We could be done in three days. Uh, but if it's one of the 16 and six, 10 and zero type things, then, you know, maybe we're, maybe we're winning the world series. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, I totally agree. I have no idea. I could see it either way. I could see the Yankees blitzing the AL playoffs and and winning it all, or I could see them being done in two nights here and limping home um, and everybody's crying in their soup. Yeah. Um, I mean, I don't know if I'm worried about the lineup or not. uh, Just because, I mean, look, they've all been streaky. It's so weird, too. It's so weird to be the fifth seed and technically the underdog in this series when we have the highest paid pitcher in baseball on our staff, we have the home run champion and we have the guy who won the batting title are all on our team. Yeah. (laughs) So the fact that we're the underdog in the first round of the Cleveland Indians is a little bit alarming. Uh, And we're the underdog by seeding. We're not, we're not uh, overall an underdog. We're right. We're, we're, we have the third best odds to win the World Series. We're plus 750 to win the World Series. The only teams ahead of us are the Rays at plus 700, and the Dodgers are the favorites at plus 350. And, okay, that seems right to me. And we're the second we're the second most likely team to win the AL. So most likely are the Rays at plus 320. We're at plus 340. The Indians are 8-1 to one to, to win the AL. So at least and now the Yankees being the New York being a New York team and just being the Yankees in general, we get the public bump and that has a lot to do with it. But yeah, um, you know, from a betting line perspective, we're heavy favorites going into this series. You know, here's the thing about about the hitting is we have been very streaky, but I have we just have enough threats throughout the lineup that no pitcher, no staff, no bullpen is going to feel safe. Like I know, you know, and it's funny since they've come back from injury. Stanton and Judge have had very similar numbers. I think one is seven for 35, the other is from seven for 36, and they've both had a very similar number of strikeouts. But if you're in like the eighth inning of a playoff game and Aaron Judge is striding to the plate, I don't care what he's been hitting lately. You're nervous. Yeah. You know, and even I don't think Sanchez is going to start all that much, but he's another one where, you know, you get him in a pinch hit situation. You're, you know, he is a threat. All these guys. It is wild. He's not even playing, though. That's amazing. Yeah, well, that's. I think that's more. Uh, I mean, it's obviously it has to do with how bad his hitting's been, but it's also more. I don't think Cole likes to throw to him. Right. So, no, I know that's part of it, but I mean, it, it tells a lot that he's. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. 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 Um, and I and on on the flip side, I don't think there are a lot of threats in the Indians lineup. But again, it's a little bit weird because they have Jose Martinez and he's uh, a candidate for MVP. But outside of him, they don't really have anybody. Where we have a bunch of guys who can make things happen. I am much more scared of the the starters that the Indians are going to trot out there over the course of the series. Um, you know, uh, uh, and, and I, you know, like for us, obviously games one and two are, are locked in, uh, game three, it's either going to be Hap or it's going to be Debbie. And, you know, if we, if we get to game three, that's, that's kind of a scary situation. I love Debbie. I think he is, very exciting to watch, but he also threw his first major league innings, like, I don't know, a few weeks ago. Right. <laughs> yeah. So, I don't know. It's amazing with the Yankees, how well resourced that that could ever be the case, but you know, it's been yeah. a weird year. Yeah, it is a weird year. And same thing with the bullpen, you know, uh, Chapman has missed a lot of the year, so it's, it's hard to tell what you're going to get out of him. You know, Zach Britton's been lights out. Chad Green's been a little spotty. ottavino has been down. So you know, it's again, I'm just, I feel like I'm just listing players, but 
a big part of that is I don't know what to say about these guys because I think it's pretty clear. You know what, for a lot of them, you know what the best case scenario is. And we know what the worst case scenario is because we've seen it play out on rotation for about three months. So I don't know. The only real interesting angle I see for this series is just like which Yankees team shows up. And I feel like we'll know pretty quickly. Yeah, well, you know, these really short series, you know, I mean, you don't have time to, you can, there's no slumps that you can uh, yeah. survive. So, I mean, look, yeah, I, you know, I admit I've not been following the Yankees as closely as maybe you have. So, I, I don't know. It seems like to me they have still have a great shot. Um, and I'll be, uh, I'll be rooting against them. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, one thing I read for tonight that I think is really smart is that the Yankees are going to have to, you know, play boring Yankee baseball and work counts and try and get home runs off of Bieber because I, you know, it's going to be tough, especially with the way he's pitched this year to, um, you know, kind of build rallies and get guys on base. And that works out perfectly in the Yankees favor, actually, because their big struggle, at least in the last, in the, in the most recent slump is, is driving guys in. They, we've been pretty good about getting guys on base. We just can't drive guys in when they're in scoring position. Um, so my advice to the Yankees tonight is just hit home runs. It's that simple. Yeah. Well, sometimes <laughs> they hit too many home runs. That's always been a problem. <laughs> um, before we wrap up, can I just say one thing about the Mets? That please, please <laughs> so, the eternal like damnation that is the Mets. But they finally looks like they're going to get rid of the Wilpons and get a new owner, and the guy's just a total crook. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> You know, his literally his hedge fund was shut down, and you know, through the luck of the way that the financial system works, he wasn't he didn't face any actual consequences. But he has to just keep all his money and sit in his office, and he can't like do his job anymore. So that's, I guess, some sort of punishment. And then it comes out that he's going to hire Sandy Alderson, bring him back. Um, And I like Sandy, but it's just like so bizarre. You know, I mean, it's just like they're just the Mets. It just seems like. The, the spring never comes, you know, the flowers just never bloom. It's just like, I don't know. I mean, I'm more optimistic, I guess the guy's got deep pockets, but it just seems somehow, somehow it, you know, it's always with a caveat of like, oh, and he's a criminal and his first move is bringing back an old, really old uh, former president who did a, you know, so-so job running the team previously. Um, it's just like, why, why can't we just have nice things? I don't get it. Why can't I get everything I want all at once? All at once and all the time. <laughs> I will say, I will, I do, I do want to point out, I do think that there are at least two, maybe three other New York teams that are, no matter what the Mets dysfunction has been, are jealous of you guys on this day. Because uh, at this point, the Giants and the Knicks, I would I would kill for an ownership change there because that's where the real problem lies. And the fact that the Mets were able to get rid of those owners, it's even a weird thing to say. The Mets got rid of the guys own the Mets. How they got rid of them, I don't know, but they got rid of them. You know, hats off. That's wonderful. Yeah, I don't think I would want to like get rid of the Mara family. I feel like I would just want to give them a good shake by the lapels and maybe a slap. Yeah, and, no, you know, I, you know, I, know. I, mean, I don't think I could say that they like we need to get them out of town. We just need, we need, a, they need to be ruffled. They need their, like, I'd like to just muss up uh, John Mara's hair a little bit, you know, <laughs> just give right. him a little, come on, Johnny boy. Right. Snap Maybe out they, of here. They, they need to be like denied reservations at a restaurant. They really right. want to be yeah, right. you know, casual. Yeah. 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 No, yeah, I mean, yeah. Played through true. on the golf course. Something to just kind of. Uh... <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All right, Brian. Uh, wonderful episode. Great to hear from you. Uh, yeah. 
And everybody, this this episode is available for download on Saturday morning, Giants Among Men. Uh, and please be sure to subscribe to the Radio Free Brooklyn monthly newsletter for the latest news about programming and upcoming RFB events. You can sign up at RadioFreeBrooklyn.org slash newsletter. See you next week, everybody.